This is Ram Das here and now. I'm Raghu Marcus with a new podcast. Another talk from Ram Das from our deep, very deep archives. Thank God we have all of these recordings. As Ram Das is no longer with us, I think a lot of appreciation goes into those who took the time, and he took the time to actually get people to do this. And we're talking from the late 60s onward. Pretty amazing. Before we get into this podcast, I do want to suggest to everybody that um, take up the opportunity to join a free four-week course, the Yoga of Service. And uh, this is, uh, again, mining Ramdas's best work around Seva, and it's uh, approaching inner and outer social action with a compassionate heart. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, very difficult for everyone to think for themselves that, boy, we do need to help each other now. We are in such a, a critical stage here, certainly with uh, the pandemic and the economic situation, the political situation, the election coming up, we really do need to help each other. And of course, Ramdas has that wonderful book that came out the year before, Walking Each Other Home, and we do need to walk each other home at this point. Uh, so you have time to sign up. Uh, there's still a few days left to sign up. You do need to register, and you just go to ramdas.org forward slash course and it'll take you and uh, it's got a wonderful uh, landing page that explains everything and uh, gives all the parameters of what this course is going to be about there's even a there'll be a couple of live uh, streaming question and answer sessions and I'm sure you're aware of this because we've been putting it up on all the podcasts on be here now to let everybody know about it so, interestingly enough, the podcast, the excerpt of a talk from Ramdas is from 1981, and it's called "Forms of Yoga," and it's all it's about Ramdas describes many of the different methods uh, that one can use to uh, polish the mirror of our minds which is another book he wrote, Polishing the Mirror. Uh, so when I say interestingly enough, I mean that when we talk about doing this course that I just talked about, the yoga of service, and we talk about approaching inner and outer social action with a compassionate heart. And what does that mean? It means that there has to be real work on our parts to get ourselves into a, a place where we can be effective in helping anybody, in helping individuals, in helping uh, groups of people, in uh, helping social justice, with social justice uh, questions of which there are just tremendous, uh, you know, I left that out in terms of all the things that are 
going on in this country, uh, certainly racial justice and what's going on there is got to be at the very top, really. So, and Ramdas always talked about you do, you, we all need to take action. A vote is taking action. We do need to take action and we do need to work on ourselves while we are taking that action. So I thought, well, this is a perfect talk where he elucidates some of the, the a bunch of the different methods that we can uh, use to polish that mirror. And the beauty of it, and as he says, there's a, a, a billion different methods, offshoots of methods, and there's something for everybody. And what uh, is a little bit unique in the tradition that Ramdas comes from, that I come from, and m- more of the so the people that were in India with Neem Karoli Baba, is that uh, it's very eclectic. And of course, Ramdas he did everything, you know, from the Quaker meditations to Sufi dance to Buddhist practices, and of course, Bhakti Yoga, Gyan, the yoga of of, uh, of the intellect. And so there's a way in which you can take a little bit from here and a little bit from there, or you can be very one-pointed with one particular method. They all will get everyone to the same place. So, But the premise is that we've tasted something he talks about. Uh, he says, we are all mad. After we taste that one little bit of freedom through whichever way that comes, uh, through a book, a teacher a psychedelic experience, a piece of music. But at one point, that taste stays with us. And he says, we are all mad. We are all mad because we are sane relative to the cultural madness. So how do we become what we know we are? And again, he, as I mentioned, some of these methods, uh, Gyan Yoga, which uses the intellect, and ultimately, uh, intuitive mind. He talked about Ramana Maharshi, that great saint in India who died in the 50s, the self-inquiry method, who am I? He talks about uh, Hatha Yoga, which includes any of the physical arts like Aikido and, um, and so on. Pranayama, so that's another method to bring us into that self-knowledge. Uh, and basically, the, there's two, uh, two ways to sort of overviews. One is extricating ourselves from our separateness into our unity, which again is core to being able to engage the yoga of service, which is a whole method all unto itself. And then learning how to play from unity and duality, that, that's a pretty, uh, it's actually a very deep, deep statement. Because once we get to a certain place where we are, it's experiential, the idea that we are completely interconnected and that there's no more needing to convince ourselves or we are not l- uh, living in our minds uh, about what unity really is, and it becomes experiential. 
then you work backwards into how do we take that into the world of duality, the world of diversity. That's an interesting issue. Uh, what else? There, of course, the core method that Ramdas comes from, that we come from, is called bhakti yoga, uh, devotional yoga. And um, just think of the. By the way, there's such funny stuff in this talk. <laughs> he's like uh, he's the great spiritual. Well, we would call him Lenny Bruce, but uh, that's going back a little too far. Maybe we'll have to think of. Uh, just how quick he is with his mind reminds of uh, some of the great comedians over the ages, over the last uh, 40, 50 years. Um, yeah, it's just about, like when you think of the heart, we think of that tremendous love and emotional drama that we get involved with. And the love, the duality love, the emotional uh, stuff, and how that gets transformed uh, to a higher plane, to, which uh, reminds me of, of like when we were with uh, Neem Karoli Baba in India and it was time to go and uh, at the end of the day, we'd be there for the day in the beginning. And uh, he'd say in English, bus has come and we'd have to go outside, wait outside the ash ashram on the road uh, for the bus to come take us back to uh, Nainital, to our hotel, the Evelyn Hotel, famous Evelyn. And we would, I remember, we would start singing these pop songs, uh, rock and roll songs that we knew uh, by heart. And, uh, and we would direct them all so to Maharaji. It was very cute to see these little hippies up on the side of the road singing these pop songs to Maharaji. And that was, it, it's a, it puts into reality the power that uh, of the heart. And of course, in talk about methods, certainly music is a major method and chanting. And, um, and that's exactly what uh, happens in kirtan. When you really are letting go of all of the mental stuff because you're focused from that heart space, repeating these incredible mantras with these beautiful melodies. Of course, all of you know not all of you, you can write me and say, Krishnas, I never heard of him. And I'll send you a song. I've been doing that for years. You can't imagine how many people Krishnas should pay me for every person I turn on to him. Um, what else? Of course, meditation. Dhyan yoga is another fantastic method. Uh, and Ramdas talks about tantra, which is a very difficult method. It's, it's about delving into de desire systems, duality systems, and it can only be done from the space of non-dual nature. And that shared awareness changes the whole game. That is very difficult in the Kali Yuga, they say. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, what else? Of course, karma yoga, working with the unfolding of one's incarnation. So everything that appears in every moment is uh, ripe for transformation when you have the right mindfulness, the right awareness, the right witness going on, as Ram Dass called it. 
Uh, he tells that great story of Dr. Larry Brilliant. Those of you, even if you've heard it, it's like the way he tells it. Uh, it he was particularly funny in this talk. That's all I got to say. And uh, the one thing that I picked up from this that I thought was just really, uh, really quite fantastic and ultimately is what any of these methods will do for us is, is to look to when we see the pulling, any pulling or pushing around any kind of phenomena that we engage with shows us the clinging nature of our minds and shows us that that's what's keeping us separate and stuck. Thinking we are somebody standing somewhere. And he talks about nobody training and uh, again recalls that movie with, with Ram Dass that's been out for, oh my God, it's a year. It's probably an anniversary. I think, yeah, it just was put out uh, this month, September in 2019, Becoming Nobody. And not to do too much of a commercial, but uh, that's available. You can get the DVDs and the downloads from iTunes, or you can sign up with Gaia TV. We got them to release it as a streaming movie. You can go to Gaia, Gaia TV. Uh, and the whole thing ends with uh, the most poignant part of the whole deal, which again goes back to when I talked about this yoga of service, this course that's coming up. And, gee, we really all realize we need to help each other. We need to walk each other home at this point. And, and what's the byword for that is compassion. Compassion for ourselves and compassion for everybody else. Compassion for the, the gigantic polarity that's going on in our country. So I think uh, this talk gives us a lot of different opportunities to clean that mirror. And uh, again, I urge you to take the course. It's a free four-week course, the Yoga of Service. Go to ramdas.org forward slash course. And uh, that's it for today. Here's the talk from Ramdas. And this is Here and Now podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and take advantage of all the wonderful thought leaders, teachers, and podcasters. See you next week. The predicament is that there are many, many, many methods to come to God, to be enlightened, to become free, to be liberated. I don't care what system you want to talk in. I don't have to talk about God if it offends some of you. Too bad, it's, it's groovy. Some of you don't like dualism and God is a concept and so it's dualistic, but that's okay. Just bear along. I do. There are so many methods and each of us has a unique predicament in this universe at this moment and therefore it isn't true that my method is appropriate for you. Let's say that what I said is the original premise of the evening, that you and I have tasted something. We're all mad. Okay? We're mad because we are sane relative to the cultural madness. We know there's something afoot. We have tasted of heaven. We have stuck our nose inside the tent. We have done whatever. And now we say, how do we become what we know we are? Then we move to methods. 
And there are as many methods as there are people. Now, there are traditional lineages. And these lineages, or rays, or whatever you want to call them, reflect various roots up the mountain. Uh, in, um, in Hinduism, in yoga, they spell out some of these distinctions. They talk about like jnana yoga, jnana yoga. The yoga of using the mind to beat the mind. I mean, after all, the highest thing you and I have going as humans is our prefrontal lobes, supposedly. At least scientists say that. I think it's nonsense, but that's what they say. Because I think there's a much higher place in us. But that's beyond science's ken. But let's say that we were used to, along with the apes, we had prehensile capacities, thumb and finger, index finger opposition. Now, we have evolved into humans with these big prefrontal lobes that can remember, plan, conceptualize, do all kinds of groovy things. What would happen if you use that thing exquisitely in order to get free of the trap that you have caught, caught in, in which you are creating a prison of thoughts? This is exactly what the koan is about in Zen, in Zen Buddhism. It is a device for confronting your mind with something which it rationally cannot solve. It forces the mind beyond itself. Nowadays in science, biogenetics, in nuclear physics, in uh, a whole set of realms, in chemistry, people on the edge of these sciences because of the one-pointedness, like a laser beam, of their minds and the discipline of thought, they are able to go right up and force their minds through into another way of being in the universe, another way of knowing. The closest word we come in our everyday language is the word intuitive mind. In uh, Ramana Maharshi, a saint in India, he said, well, he said, all you have to do is keep asking, who am I? And then you say, I am not, and you just get rid of everything. And this is a dis discipline of mind. You see, you say, I am not this body. And then you experience yourself letting go of the body, not being the body. The body's sitting right here, but you become like your personality or things like that. He goes through it. You're not your arms, your legs, your organs, etc." And then he says, you're not your feelings, and you feel yourself letting go of that with the discipline of your mind. And then the last line, the stinker, the one that makes you flip and let go, is, I am not this thought. It's one thing, I am not the body, I am not the emotions, I have, but I am not this thought, this thought that I am not this thought, I am not. And at that moment, your mind can't handle it, and it flicks like that. And it leaps back into agitated. I've got to have a drink of water. I've got to go to the bathroom. I mean, I've done this many times. I've blown it every time. Because you'll find with all methods that you can't bulldoze the game. You will learn patience whether you like it or not. Believe me, you will. You'll even stop counting incarnations. It gets that far out. You might want to work with energy. Let's say you're a very rajasic or a, a, well, Jnana yoga also has philosophy, study, uh, uh, Talmudic scholars. That all is within that domain of Jnana yoga. It's a combination, but it has a heavy dose of that use of the mind.
studying the laws of the universe, studying the cosmic blueprint, studying the exquisiteness of the way things are defined. Scientists are primarily jnana yogis. Now, it may be that energy, you can work with energy in your body more, and that your method is through uh, Aikido, or uh, running, or uh, skiing, or surfing, or uh, who knows, whatever. Because every one of these will push you right to the edge if you play it carefully enough, and it will push you through just on the energy quality of it itself, the biochemistry of it, the adrenaline or whatever. One of the forms of that is what's called pranayam within hatha yoga, which means uh, sun and the moon coming together. Yoga means union, by the way, how to come into union, how to come into the one. Because our first game is to extricate ourselves from our separateness into our unity. The second game is learning how to play from unity in duality. We'll come to the second game later. We're still going from the, we're in the first game now, we're going from thinking you and I are separate into our oneness. You with me? Is it all? Yes, I think. Okay, one of the forms in the, uh, in the working with energy is what's called pranayama. That's breath control, working with the breath, working with the energy of using the breath as a vehicle to awaken the kundalini, which is the serpent that is three times coiled with its head down, sitting at the bottom of your spine. And you hit it on the head with a hammer of breath, and it raises its head and starts to climb the, the spine, the sushumna. And believe me, if that's ever happened to you, you know it. I mean, you have orgasms and all kinds of stuff happens. It's, ah, you know, it's really happening. And the game is very simple. I mean, you can, uh, it's very simple. Uh, all you have to do is stop breathing. That's right, that's it. I mean, I used to have a teacher, and she would say, take in a breath, now let it out, let out more, 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 more. Now, don't take in a breath. And she was very crude in her speech. And I've got to, this is just science I'm sharing with you, so don't get offended by her language. You asshole, if you take in a breath, you've blown it. And you're sitting there, kneecap to kneecap with her, and she's not breathing, okay? And so you wait. And you have a choice at that moment. You can cheat, which I would always try to do, but she'd catch me. You can black out, meaning you can just, you know, you can just pass out. Or you can sort of white out, which means that at that moment, you take your consciousness, and instead of being, oh, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, which is a thought form, you become, you bring your thought to the bottom of your spine and let the not breathing worry about itself. And that takes discipline. And at that moment, the sushum, the, the kundalini starts up, and as it gets up into the heart and the throat, you are suddenly not breathing, and you're still here. And then you say, I'm not breathing, and then you're down again. Because your mind again flickered. See, it has to do with the ability to keep the mind at one point. Okay, that's another form. Then there is bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is the yoga of the heart. 
Most of uh, Western religions have a very heavy dose of bhakti yoga, of devotional yoga, of the heart, because we are human beings, and one of the things we have, along with our big prefrontal lobes, is we have a tremendous amount of emotionality and tremendous love of emotional melodrama. We love it. It's thick. What you said to me that I said to you that you said to me and I won't stand for it. <laughs> that one. I'm trying to be brave. So, you know. We have all these um, emotional qualities and instead of feeling that they're a drag, we use them in bhakti yoga. Instead of, I love you, Doris, it's I love you, Christ. You start out loving that Christ or that being or that figure or that guru or whatever that trip is. You just, your heart opens to it. Sometimes um, there are, I'm gonna get to other forms of yoga perhaps, but sometimes there are other, there are combinations of these. Like, let me read you this nice story. Uh, this is um, from a book called Miracle of Love, which is by me, which is an excellent book. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a thousand, it's a thousand fifty stories about my guru, who is completely nuts. I mean, completely off the wall. And, um, well, I don't really know that. I mean, but when I, you add up all these stories, there's no human being here. There's nobody you'd recognize. I'll read you one story uh, which I've been reading a lot of because just it conveys the combination because if you watch the way this happened, you'll see two dynamics in operation. This is a um, this is a doctor, a doctor with the World Health Organization. My, my guru was Neem Karoli Baba, and he was called Maharaji, which is a common name in India, given which means a great king. My guru died in 1973 called Dropping the Body in India. My wife had met Maharaji and had come to get me in America and bring me back to meet him. When we first went to see Maharaji, I was put off by what I saw. All these crazy Westerners wearing white clothes and hanging around this fat old man in a blanket. More than anything else, I hated seeing Westerners touch his feet. On my first day there, he totally ignored me. But after the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day, during which he also ignored me, I began to grow very upset. I felt no love for him. In fact, I felt nothing. I decided that my wife had been captured by some crazy cult. By the end of the week, I was ready to leave. We were staying at the hotel up in Nanital, and on the eighth day, I told my wife I wasn't feeling well. I spent the day walking around the lake, thinking that if my wife was so involved in something that was clearly not for me, it must mean that our marriage was at an end. I looked at the flowers, the mountains, the reflections in the lake, but nothing could dispel my depression. And then I did something that I had really never done in my adult life. I prayed. I asked God, what am I doing here? Who is this man? These people are all crazy. I don't belong here. Just then I remembered the phrase, had ye but faith, ye would not need miracles. 
okay, God, I don't have any faith, send me a miracle. <laughs> I kept looking for a rainbow, but nothing happened. So I decided to leave the next day. The next morning, we took a taxi, taxi down to Kenshi to the temple to say goodbye. Although I didn't like Maharaji, I thought I'd just be very honest and have it out with him. We got to Kenshi before anyone else was there, and we sat in front of his tucket, his wooden bed on the porch. Maharaji had not yet come out from inside the room. There was some fruit on the tucket, and one of the apples had fallen on the ground. So I bent over to pick it up. Just then, Maharaji came out of his room and stepped on my hand, <laughs> pinning me to the ground. So there I was, on my knees, touching his foot. In that position I detested, how ludicrous. He looked down at me and he asked, where were you yesterday? He said that in Hindi. Were you at the lake? He said the word lake in English. When he said the word lake to me, I began to get this strange feeling at the base of my spine, and my whole body tingled. It felt very strange. He asked me, what were you doing at the lake? I began to feel very tight. Were you horseback riding? No. Were you boating? No. Did you go swimming? No. Then he leaned over and he spoke very quietly. Were you talking to God? Did you ask for something? <laughs> when he did that, I fell apart and started to cry like a baby. He pulled me over and started pulling my beard and repeating, did you ask for something? Did you ask for something? <laughs> that really felt like my initiation. By then, others had arrived, and they were around me, caressing me, and I realized then that almost everyone there had gone through some experience like that. A trivial question such as, were you at the lake yesterday? which had no meaning to anyone else, shattered my perception of reality. After that, I just wanted to rub his feet. <laughs> now, what you heard in that was a whole parcel, a whole lot of different yogas because here was a head-tripping doctor, and his mind got blown. He, it was clear that Maharaji knew what had happened to him, and therefore blew his rational mind. So there was yana yoga, the pushing the mind beyond itself. In the process, the heart gets opened, so then the last line, all I want to do is touch his feet, which is the devotional part, the love, because when you are with somebody who you open to and you suddenly experience the intensity and immensity of the love of the universe, you just are so open and so uh, appreciative, appreciative.
There is also in there Hatha Yoga. Here the tingling at the bottom of the spine. Now, what we haven't discussed yet in yogas is Dhyan Yoga, which is the yoga of meditation, the yoga of quieting the mind, the yoga of concentration, just following the breath. There is a method of yoga which is, comes out of the southern Theravadan Buddhist tradition, which is a technique for following the breath, breathing in and breathing out. It's quite simple. It's a real idiot game. You sit down and the instructor sits up on like a stage like this and everybody's sitting out here. And he says, now bring your awareness to your breath. Notice it going in and out. You can either notice it at the tip of your nose where you'll feel a little breeze go by the end of your nose going in, going out, or a little muscle here going up and down. And if it'll help, when the no breath goes in, you say breathing in into your mind, it's quietly, then breathing out. Got that instruction? That's it. Three days later, three days later, 14 hours a day? I mean, if you want to do a method, that's how you do it. You go to India, for example, and you sign up for a course. There's about 100 of us in the room, and the instructor sits up and gives that instruction, and then every few minutes he says, bring your awareness back to your breath. <laughs> and what you experience usually is you start in, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, and then the thoughts start. What am I doing here? <laughs> for this, I got a PhD. Yeah. This, these people are all nuts. This isn't going to get me to enlightenment. Then you run through those, and you, and you hear them say, bring your awareness back to your breath, and you see that those thoughts were so seductive, they just took you on a trip. Then you go back, and then you say, my knee hurts. <laughs> or I should have gone to the bathroom before the beginning. <laughs> or boy, I'm hungry. I wonder what we're having for lunch. And in the course of the next days, you will find your mind is so fertile I used to be able to go on six-hour fantasies. I never would even hear him saying, bring your awareness back to your breath. I was... That's one form, an example of Dhyan Yoga. Oh, it's, it's called meditating. Then we have Tantra Yoga. Most people, when they hear Tantra, suddenly they have all kinds of, they, it awakens their prurient interests. <laughs> they think of, they think it means sex. Well, it does and it doesn't. It is a technique for using your senses, your sense experiences, to transcend your attachment to your sense experiences mandalas that you look at, visualizations out there, that is Tantra. Working with sounds, that's Tantra. Working with sexual arousal energy, that is also Tantra. But Tantra means, it's a process whereby, this is a little tricky to describe, but you have a certain kind of space in your consciousness, and from that space, you delve into the desire system, maintaining the space while you do it. 
It's like if you sit down opposite another person that is somebody that would be sexually attractive to you. You look at them, and if you look into their eyes, you might be saying, do you want to? I do, or hello, or hi, or won't you come up and see my holy pictures, or whatever you say to people in your, uh, in your methods. But if you will sit through that one, you will arrive at a space where you, are you here? I'm here. Far out, here we are. Look at this, two bodies, and they're very attractive, and now what? And there is beginning to be a shared awareness in which there are two, there's yab, yum, yin, yang, whichever way you want to call it. There are these, just these different energy forces available at that moment. And sometimes it's too gross to assume that the same energy stays in the same person all the time. Sometimes, because everybody's got all these energies and sometimes they're flickering back and forth very fast and person's one moment yin and another moment yang and they're just going back and forth. But whatever it is, the chemistry is pulling, it's like uh, uh, opposites attract in magnetic field. There's an attraction, but there is also this shared awareness. And then from that space of oneness, the beings start to open to that attraction without losing the oneness. In other words, you do not get lost into lust because lust is two. You lust for an object. That's why the biblical injunction, thou shalt not lust, means don't lose God, don't forget the one into the two. If you get so fascinated with the two, I mean, I can go around being, it's God, 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 hallelujah, amen, wow, isn't it beautiful, aren't you all beautiful, until somebody comes along that I want. <laughs> I want you. That's the, that place. Suddenly, every bit of my training, everything, every bit of God, all of it, has, it might be around as a device to use to get my object. That's the horrible part. I'm Ramdas. <laughs> and you watch yourself. You begin. Well, in the sequence of dance that I'm describing this evening, when you start out, the first time you stick your nose through the canvas and you smell freedom, then you are absolutely freaked when you get thrown out that you're never gonna have it again. You have very little what's called faith. And because of that, you try to recreate that moment you had before. Well, let's see, I was standing by the window <laughs> and I was looking at that bird. Now I'll just stand here till a bird goes by and then it'll happen. And the bird goes by and it doesn't happen, you see, because you're holding onto the memory now of the thing which doesn't allow it to happen again. You're hooked, you're addicted to the memory of the high, it's called, we'll call it. You begin to see that there is truly something in you that is homing like a pigeon, that is pulling itself back towards Consciousness, awareness, light, God, universe, whatever you want to call it. You call it anything you want. Emptiness, Brahma, Buddha, mind, whatever. When your faith is very flickery, you want to surround yourself with all the things that get you high. Among people, they're called satsang or sangha or the community of the spirit. And you say, gee, I can't stand living in that place. There's nobody around that understands me. I feel very isolated. 
And so you surround yourself with books, and there's Ramakrishna, and there's the teachings of the Buddha, and there's the Gospels, and there's the Aquarian Gospel, and on and on and on and on, and the Tao, and the etc. And you have your friends in book form, and you hang out with these consciousnesses. As your faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger, you get to the point where you are not afraid of losing the spirit. And you start to play guts ball because you would like to become free enough so that now you want to go towards those things which catch you and throw you off balance as a warrior in order to confront them. Like people come to me and say, you live in New Mexico, which I don't, but assuming they say you live in New Mexico. I'd like to come and study with you. I, I hate New York City, and I'd like to come to New Mexico and study with you. I say, do you really want to study with me as my student? Yes. I say, well, I don't have any students usually, but if you'd like to be my student, then here's the first instruction. Go live in New York City. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be a student that bad. You get to the point that anything you are pushing or pulling shows the clinging nature of your mind and that is what is creating the suffering of your separateness and what is keeping you stuck in certain tapes of reality, certain planes, thinking you are somebody standing somewhere. For a while I used to uh, title these lectures, Nothing New by Nobody Special, but I decided it was too cute. But I've kept saying to everybody, I'm in nobody training. All my life, becoming a Harvard professor, I'm learning how to become somebody. How do you do? I'm somebody. And you can tell they have license plates with names on them and they... There's a, people project their somebodyness, even people that don't. You know, like somebody in the food stamp line is somebody in the food stamp line. You can feel everybody is busy. Everybody has a structure of who they think they are. And like in the Doctor Strange comics, they get down the street projecting these mind nets out that this is who I am, 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 this is who you are, this is how it is, this is who I am, this is who you are, this is how it is, this is who I am, this is who you are, this is how it is, this is who I am, this is who you are. And we just go along down the street and most of us enter into conspiracies. I'll buy who you think you are if you buy who I think I am. Because it's just like landing at the airport in Los Angeles as you come back down into that kind of orangey, blackish stuff. You're, that's what's called coming down. I mean, there you were cosmically free in blue sky and sun, and suddenly you're neurotic and you're gnarled and you're anxious and you're, see, and you're, I'm home, I'm back. Here I am, I'm down. Now, when you get to the point in the dance where you're not afraid of falling because you recognize that you really did want to be free, you just weren't conning yourself, you really did want it, it's in there, it's good and strong and it's in there. Then you start to take on life. You start to take on the daily marketplace of stuff. You start to take on all of your reactions to the this's and that's of the universe 
and you begin to nurture in the midst of all that the quietness of mind and the openness of heart. And now you are doing what is known as karma yoga, meaning the yoga of working with your karma. You're working with the unfolding of your own incarnation. I have a very groovy friend, his name is Emmanuel, and the unique part about Emmanuel is that he speaks through a woman named Pat Rodegeist because Emmanuel doesn't have a body or a vocal box or anything because he's a spook or a ghost or an astral entity. And some of you say you have no prejudice and you don't have prejudice against color or race or religion, but you, many of you have prejudice against people that don't have bodies, but I don't have that prejudice. <laughs> and Emmanuel's a great guy and I like him. I mean, I assume he's the guy. I don't know, he's called Emmanuel. So at one point I said to him, Emmanuel, what should I do? I mean, what shall I do? I got something to do. <laughs> Emmanuel said, Randas, you're enrolled in a school, why don't you take the curriculum? You've taken a human incarnation, why are you so busy trying to be holy? That's scary. I mean, he is clearly the Antichrist. I mean, I've been so busy saying, yeah, not that. We won't have that, no more of that. And he's finally saying, allow it. He even says words like, you know what you're going to have to do to get free? You're going to have to embrace original sin. That doesn't mean you have to sin. It means you have to allow the universe to exist. You have to start with yourself. You have to allow yourself to be an incarnation. You have to allow all of it. The body, the neurosis, the desires, the fears, the anxiety, the darkness, the perversity, all of it. The curiosity, the fascination, the laziness, the greed for possession, control, joy, rapture, the anger, the hostility, yes and that too, yes, 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 allow the humanity. That's the part of completing the circle, that's the part of going from the two into the one and then coming back into the two, but the difference is, it's like the statement, before Satori you chop wood and carry water and after Satori you chop wood and carry water. It's the same thing, but it's entirely different. Because before Satori, you think you are carrying water, and you think you are chopping wood. And after Satori, there is carrying water and there is chopping wood. And here we are. Now, that's what Hermann Hesse means when in, uh, in Journey to the East, he talks, Leo says, don't you see life is a game, an exquisite game? It's the word play, or in Sanskrit, lila, the play of life, the dance of life. It's a dance, it's a play, it's a game. All of the forms are dancing with one another, lawfully, exquisitely. If you ever look through a microscope and see Brownian movement and see cells moving, or you look at the ocean or the birds, or you just are aware of the universe, the play of the clouds in the sky, the play of the, the development, creation, disintegration within your own body, the sloughing off of cells, the beauty, the perfection of that rose. 
the appreciation of the flowing, changing, lawful form. The exquisiteness of the dance of forms of which your body, your personality, and your thinking mind are all part of that exquisiteness. So where are you going to look at it from? You're going to look at it from pure awareness, which has no unique you-ness to it. It is merely awareness. It is the eye of God. It is the one. It is pure isness. And out of that come all the forms. You are your own grandpa in that sense. You are your own creator. You are both the creator and the created. Everything of you that is in karma is created. Your body, your personality, your thoughts, who you think you are, what you think you're doing, how many more incarnations, what you did last incarnation, all that stuff, that's all lawful stuff unfolding. And behind it all, you are free. Emmanuel says, he says, look, you have your choice. Do you want to continue to be the victim or do you want to be the creator? As the creator, you enjoy your creation, which in this case is Ramdas. This is my creation. And what I'm seeing you all to be is the creation of my mind. You and I are seeing different things. We're seeing our own creations because I can show you, even as a psychologist, I mean, I can show you that. I can show you if I take a group of people that are hungry and I run them through a town. At the end of the town, I say, what did you see? And they say, I saw Dunkin' Donuts and the pizza parlor. And I take somebody who's got a rattle in their car, in the engine, and they're worried about it. And on the other side of town, I say, what did you see? And they say, I saw garages and service stations. And you take somebody that's horny and you run them through the town at the end, you can predict they saw that person standing on the corner under the clock and that person over there. They didn't see pizza parlors. Desire manifests in perception. It's perceptual selectivity. You actually pick out of the infinite stimulation that is occurring to your senses all the time in every sense dimension, that which fits into your model of how you think it ought to be. And those models come along with attachments or desires are at the root of them and your identification. I am hungry and therefore the, the universe turns into what is edible and what is not edible. And how do I get it? And that's called first chakra. And second chakra is horny and everybody either breaks down into makeable, a competitor or irrelevant. <laughs> and the third chakra is power and it's who's got you know, who's got more of it, me or you? Who controls more? That's what politics are about, what <sighs> heavy duty. We got a lot of third chakra folk around these days. Fourth chakra is the first one that starts the compassion. That's the first one in which you start to tune to a place in yourself where you recognize that other people are your brothers and sisters and fellow souls. And then it goes on up the scale. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.